The following audio is from Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. Turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We've come again this morning to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And my question for you as we begin is, how have you come? Now the answer to why have you come might be easy. You might have come because it's church and you come to church on Sunday. You might have come because you really love the Lord's Supper, so you're here to celebrate. But I wonder, how have you come? With what spirit? With what attitude? We understand that this is an important time in the life of our church family. This is a meal that Jesus Christ has invited His body to join Him in celebrating. He said, do this in remembrance of me. The invitation this morning is for believers within the context of the church family. And it is an exciting thing to think that we have been invited by Christ to join together in unity in this celebration. We come in unity with Christ and in unity together as members of the family of God to the Lord's table. What a wonderful thing. We remember here that Christ gave his life for us. That he gave his life, he gave his body to be tortured and killed. To be spat upon, to have his beard ripped out. To be physically abused for my sin and for your sin. We remember that his blood was spilt to purchase our redemption. That's what we're doing today. And it's a glorious thing. We here publicly declare our faith that we as a church family, that we as individuals have a God who has died to save us and we are taking part in the Lord's Supper until He comes again. We're declaring that we believe that together. We believe that the Lamb was slain on our behalf and we do this with the knowledge that it's just a foreshadow of the coming day when we will sit down at the banquet table and enjoy the marriage supper of the Lamb with our Savior. We come to examine ourselves in light of all these glorious truths. Are we living well for our King? Are we being the ambassador for Christ that He's called us to be? And as we think about these things, and as we think about what Christ has done for us, I hope we begin to realize that this is an immense privilege for us. That we ought to come to the Lord's table with an excitement, with an enthusiasm, right? That, that, that we wake up and we go, today we get to celebrate with the body of Christ what Jesus has done for, for us. And, and to know that this is just a foreshadow of amazing things to come. This is an exciting time. But, I wonder how many of us woke up this morning and thought about that. How many of us woke up this morning with this anticipation of the privilege that's before us? I may be wrong, but I would imagine at least 15% of people here today didn't wake up with that kind of anticipation. That 15% of us were not utterly captivated by the awesome truths that I just mentioned. That your soul wasn't stirred the moment you woke up because you get to be a part of this today and to remember all that you have in Christ. 
And if we're being really honest, we would probably say that the number was higher than 15%. Maybe upwards of 90%. Is that true? I mean, if we're being really honest, right? You should be honest in church, right? It's It's a good thing to do. And if we're being really honest, I wonder if we came to church the way we always come to church, that we didn't think much about the Lord's Supper. You know what? It might be shameful to say, but I wonder if we remembered it was the Lord's Supper. I wonder if this week we were thinking about what we get to do on Sunday, how exciting it is to have this experience together, that Christ has given this to us. I'm sure many of you have heard the term before, familiarity breeds contempt. The idea that the more frequently we experience something or the more often we spend time with someone, the more likely we are to begin to feel hostility towards them. Have you ever stopped and think whether that is true or not? Do you think familiarity breeds contempt? Do we really begin to disdain, to neglect, to feel scorn toward those things and those people that we know most deeply? I don't know. Maybe you can think of someone at your work that you spend a lot of time with, and they just drive you crazy. Maybe they're not at work. Maybe they're at home. Maybe in, in some cases you might say, yeah, I'm, I'm really familiar with this person, and I really don't feel good thoughts toward them. But I think it's fair to say that as a rule, familiarity does not breed contempt. The people that I love the most are the people that I know best and think of most often. The people that I've experienced things together, the people that I spend time with, those are the ones that I love, not the ones that I feel contempt towards. It's, in fact, very easy to feel contempt towards someone that you don't know. Someone who just, in in your mind, is an idea of what they are. Right, You know what they think about a certain subject, and it, it really irks you. And so that's the person you feel contempt toward. But the people that we see most often, often we find reasons to love them, to enjoy them. <clears throat> there is, however, a danger that while familiarity may not breed contempt, contempt it can certainly cause us to take something for granted. Uh, At least once a year, I get the privilege of going somewhere for a week, some kind of mission field or something like that. And the problem with that is that I have to leave my family. And so that's a a hard thing to do. It's always hard to say goodbye. I know I'm I'm crying a river of tears because I have to leave my family for a week, and we have the Crothers here who have left their family for 35 years. Um, (laughs) However... I don't know if you experience this. Maybe when you get on a plane, you're like, oh, finally. But when I leave, it's hard. It's, it's sad. But I always tell Tara that it's good to go, for me to go because when I come back, she appreciates me so much more. <laughs> Familiarity doesn't breed contempt, but it can cause us to take something for granted. And I don't think, I'm hoping that someday that doesn't backfire. <laughs> But I do think we tend to take the people that we're closest to and the things we experience most often for granted sometimes. That they're always there. And as soon as that, that is threatened, as soon as the child is in the hospital, as soon as you, you might lose that experience or that thing, then you start to realize how awesome it is and how excited you should be to experience that or spend time with them. 
And so, every month, our church gets together and we celebrate the Lord's Supper. Every month, we have a message about the truth of the gospel, the death and the burial and the resurrection of Christ. And the truth is, at this church, it's, it's every week, right? We talk about it every service, the gospel, what Christ has done for us. And I hope that the familiarity with the gospel does not ever cause you to take it for granted. Do you realize that when Paul wrote the famous portion of Scripture in, in 1 Corinthians 11 that we're going to look at right now, that he was not instructing a church for the first time in the Lord's Supper. He wasn't taking a church that knew nothing about what they were supposed to do and saying, hey, this is how the Lord's Supper is supposed to be practiced. Instead, what he was doing is he was saying, guys, I told you what to do. And you're doing it all wrong. That's not the Lord's Supper. That's not what we talked about. That's not how I taught you. And so for them... The familiarity with the Lord's Supper has caused them to change their attitudes. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 22. Paul says, What? Have you not houses to eat and to drink in? Or despise the church of God and shame them that have not? What shall I say unto you? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. When Paul looked what was happening there, he realized that the believers had come and they had come with the wrong attitude. They had come with the wrong spirit. Right? They, they did not come to celebrate and to remember and to, to be in unity together, acknowledging that they're one in Christ and, and, and all that Christ has done for them. Instead, they came to have a party, to eat, drink, and be merry. Right? They came and, and the rich people were eating all of their stuff and, and getting drunk on their wine and the poor people had nothing and there was disunity, there was selfishness. There was no remembrance of what it was all about. And so, Paul reminded them of Jesus' words. Right? This, is, this is the way he chooses to fix that problem of coming to the Lord's Supper with completely the wrong attitude. He said, don't you remember what Jesus said? He said, this is my body. This is my body that is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. It's not a joke. It's not to be taken flippantly. It's not a party. This is representing the body of Jesus Christ that was broken. That he was broken for me and for you. That he was beaten. That he was tortured. That they... they, drove furrows into his back as they whipped him. That they ripped off his clothes. That they shamed him. They spit on him. They crowned him with a crown of thorns. His body suffered. And so we don't come flippantly. We come to remember what Christ suffered for us. The cost of my sin. He went on. He said, this is the cup of the new covenant, do this in remembrance of me. Speaking of his blood, right? his blood was spilt on the cross for us. Christ gave his life blood so that we could have eternal life. This is the cup of the New Testament, the new promise of grace that was shed for us. Jesus gives us what is the most important thing for us to remember as we go through this life. 
That's why the Lord's Supper is so wonderful, right? Because the truth is the church of Christ gets so distracted with things that really aren't primary. They don't matter. We get so caught up in things that doctrines that we're so obsessed with, exactly when and how Jesus is going to come again, or, or maybe it's your version of soteriology, or, or who knows what it is. But we get so distracted with things that are, that are secondary, tertiary. And this is what it's about. The Savior shed his blood for you. He was broken for you. And so come and do this in remembrance of Christ. We remember what the new covenant means for us. That we were sinners, lost, helpless, hopeless. That that there was no way we were ever going to heaven. There was no way to undo the sin that we had done. And so we deserved to go to hell forever to pay for our transgression, to pay for our sin. That's what we deserve. And so we come to remember that Christ took that for us. And that in its place, the new covenant of grace tells us that we spend eternity in heaven. We don't deserve it. We haven't earned it. But God gave that to us in Christ. And so we remember. I wonder if you've ever read the New Testament and you've noticed that there are times when the authors seem to break from the thought that they had and then all of a sudden burst into praise. Right? That it seems like they're, they're carrying an argument or a thought and they're, they're talking. And then all of a sudden, it's like they take their pen that was directed toward men that they were writing to, men and women, and that they look up to God and they say, to God be the glory. Or something along those lines. It doesn't, it doesn't really fit in the context, but it's like they were... They, they had to share praise at that moment. They wanted us to know that that's how they felt. And I, I think they want us to feel that way as well. We call these random outbursts of praise doxologies. There are times when the author stopped teaching with his pen and instead com- was compelled to offer God an outburst of praise. This is the emotion that they felt. And I know that sometimes in a Baptist church, talking about feeling emotion may not be the first thing we want to do. Can I tell you something? The truths of the gospel should cause you to feel emotion. Right? And this is coming from a pretty non-emotional guy. I'm, I like to think. I like to be logical. If you know me, and a lot of you know me too well. Emotion. Crying because the scene is so beautiful in the movie. Or... You know, thinking about, your, okay, when, when, when the groom sees the bride walk in, what is he supposed to do? He's supposed to cry, right? And I wanted so badly to give that to Tara. I was, I was excited, right? I didn't see a reason to cry there. This is going on a wrong place. But the point is, Even I know that as I think of my sin, I should feel guilt and shame. And then as I look to the Savior and know that He took that, that He bore it, that He suffered and died, it should cause me to praise, to love, to adore. And so as we read different sections of the Bible, you realize that that these doxologies often happen immediately following Paul or Jude or Peter writing with their pen about how Christ saved them and, and how he's given us what we don't deserve. I'll give you an example. Galatians chapter 1, verse 4 and 5. 
In Galatians 1, Paul writes, Who, Jesus, gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father. So he speaks about the glorious truth of the gospel, that that God, Jesus, gave himself for my sins, for our sins, so that he could deliver us from the present evil world. the, The world we were completely immersed in a part of. He brought us out of that. Delivered us. According to the will of God our Father. And then he says, To whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Thinking about the gospel caused him to look upward and say, To whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I hope it does that for you as well. We find the same type of thing happening in Romans chapter 8, Romans 9, Romans 11, Romans 16, Ephesians 3, Jude, and so many other places in the New Testament. But I want us to look one more time at at one last spot in 1 Timothy chapter 1. I want us to see how clearly here Paul sees himself as a sinner, acknowledges his sin, and then is just driven to praise because he thinks about what Christ has done for him. 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 12. And I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has enabled me, for he has counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer, a persecutor, and injurious. But I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Do you sense that Paul has a good understanding of who he is without Christ? Of the sinner that he is? You need to know that. You can't ever forget that. He goes on in verse 16. How be it for this cause... I obtained mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all long suffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. Now unto the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. The pattern is so clear. I am a sinner, but I thank Christ that He saved me. That He's given me this hope of everlasting life to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, our Savior. Be glory and honor forever and ever. Amen. It just flows. That's the right response. And so I don't know how you came today. I don't know with what spirit and what, what attitude, but I believe that it's actually less important how you came with how we leave. Because what I think is that Jesus knows what we're like. He knows that we are prone to forget. He actually gave us this service so that we would remember to remember. right? Because we easily forget. And so here we come to remember the sacrifice of Christ. As we remember, we think about Jesus, the Lamb of God, who was slain to take away our sins, and we cannot help but be drawn toward praise. There's a song called The Wonder of the Cross, and it's, it's a 
wonderful words. It says, O precious sight, my Savior stands, dying for me with outstretched hands. O precious sight, I love to gaze, remembering salvation's day. Though my eyes linger on the scene, may passing time and years not steal the power with which it impacts me, the freshness of its mystery. May I never lose the wonder, the wonder of the cross. May I see it like the first time, standing as a sinner lost, undone by mercy and left speechless, watching wide-eyed at the cost. May I never lose the wonder, the wonder of the cross. Just as Paul wrote of Jesus' sacrifice, and then he looked up to heaven with a pen in hand, and he praised God for who he is, may we be drawn this morning into that same kind of praise. That we see the pain and the agony of Christ. We see his death for us as sinners so undeserving. And we're drawn to praise. That we have not lost the wonder of the cross. Spurgeon said that true praise is heart work. Like smoking incense, it rises from the glowing coals of devout affection. And that affection only comes as we dwell upon the unmerited love that Jesus has for us. And so I encourage you this morning, not just to flippantly remember the cross, not just to flippantly think about your sin, not just to go through the emotions as we share in this celebration today. I encourage you to really remember. Remember the cross. Remember what Jesus suffered. Remember your sin and who you are without him. And if you're here today and this is new, and you don't know if if that death that Christ suffered was for you, I want you to understand that as we celebrate today, this is the goal of, of this ceremony is not only for believers to remember, but it's, it's for believers to share with those who don't know Christ what Christ has done for them. And so if you don't know Christ today as your Savior, I want you to know this is, there is no better day than today than to come to know Jesus, to come to ask Him to forgive you of your sin, to repent and to turn in faith and ask Jesus to save you. And that can be done today. Jesus gave us this service because he knows our nature. He knows how easily we forget. And so let us take this chance to remember. I'll ask the men to come forward at this time.